Well, welcome on such a beautiful day today. Hope you got in, uh, swam in, did whatever, however you got into the building today. Uh, it is pouring down rain right now, obviously. Um, but today is our day to assemble as God's people before him and to worship him with thanksgiving and praise. And so as we do that today in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 29, um, there's a lot in 29. One thing that we've been talking about throughout Deuteronomy is that this is a book of sermons that Moses gave to the people of Israel before they went into the promised land. And we're getting toward the end of that book. And so Moses' sermons are focusing in on his heart and what God wants to tell his people before he unleashes them into the promised land. And God today has assembled the people before his face. And Moses is to remind them of God's covenant relationship with his people. And so today, that's what we want to concentrate on as well. You know, one of the grand joys of myriad of pastoral duties is meeting with couples for premarital counseling. Couples come in um, and they begin to talk about getting married and talk about relation, their relationship and it's just a joy to work that out with them and to walk through that and, and live that out with them. And usually, usually most couples that come in think about relationships in two broad categories, either as consumers or as covenant keepers. Those are basic, two broad scoping thoughts. So this week I was thinking about what if you wrote vows that would go either of those two directions? What would they sound like? What would that be like? Um, so here's what I came up with. First, the consumer might sound something like this. If you don't know Sandrine is my wife, I'm just using our names because um, I didn't want any of your names to be in there. I, Jeff, take you, Sandrine, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as you do what you should. And as long as you fulfill my needs and remain faithful to me. Otherwise... I'm out. Well, I don't know much, but I know this. If I said that on our wedding day, Sandrine would have been out. She probably would have walked right out the door. And she should. And it sounds ridiculous to us when we write it out like that. Yet our culture, that's the way we live. That's the way we think. It's the things that are pushed on us. That our relationships are based on what? Me. My personal likes and dislikes. You see, relationships in our culture tend to revolve around the idolatry of self. And it makes us consumers. And listen, the word consumer, by definition, means someone who consumes Correct? You tracking with me? 
Everybody, rainy day, I understand. Okay, it's consumers long to, serve, to, to be served rather than to serve. They call the shots in line of like we were talking about, likes and dislikes, and that's just pure idolatry. Now, many of us would turn our noses up to that. We would turn our noses up to the vows that I just read to you. But practically speaking, most of us think about relationships in our life in that fashion every single day. So now let's compare that to what covenant vows might sound like. I, Jeff, take you, Sandrine, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till love and to cherish, till death do us part. And I make this vow to you and to God, whether or not you do what you should or remain faithful to me, I will remain faithful to you. There are certain relationships in our life that are meant to be covenantal. And they should be walked out in fear and trembling, in sobriety. They should be made with reservation because these are the most intimate, most passionate, and most God-glorifying relationships. However, not all relationships are supposed to be covenantal in nature. I do not have a covenantal relationship with Best Buy. It's a consumer relationship, and it's supposed to be one. And if I find a better deal or better service someplace else, I'm out. I'm going down the street. And to this point, I don't think there are any curses attached for me walking away and going down the street. But here's where the tragedy really strikes, where it really takes place, is when covenant relationships are treated as consumer relationships. Our marriages implode when you become and I become consumers, when felt needs become more important than our spouse's needs, when I becomes more important than we, and when I demand rather than serve, things begin to crumble. In my relationship to God, when I become a consumer, I begin to worship God for what He gives me rather than who He is and what He has done. And at that point, my relationship with God begins to falter and I lose sight of God altogether. In our text today, Moses has assembled all of Israel together before God and is reminding them that God only relates to his people in covenant relationship. He is not a vendor for consumers and he will not let his people operate that way with him. Do you remember the 72 verses of curses? We were, it wasn't an uplifting Sunday last Sunday. I mean, that, 72 ver, verses of curses. He's unwilling to allow that to take place. So before we get into the text today, 
let's pray somberly that God would teach us what he means by covenant relationship to his people and what he's trying to teach us through Deuteronomy 29 today. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we beg you to forgive us for being consumers of our relationship with you. We beg you to forgive us because often we cry foul when we don't get what we want or we don't like the answers we get from you. God, that just shows our heart that we are wretchedly broken. Help us to understand the love and the law of your covenant. And help us, God, to have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts of faith. Lord Jesus, please, we beg you, by your spirit and the power of your word, have your way with us today. And we pray this in your name for your fame. Amen. So, I will look back every once in a while because these fine little security monitors aren't working, so I have no idea what's going on behind me. So, hopefully it will be in line with what I'm, what I'm doing. So, we look at verse 1 in chapter 29. It says this, These are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant that he made with them at Horeb, which is Mount Sinai. This is not just a renewal of the previous covenant, but a continuation and addition to the covenant God made with his people. God's redemptive purposes are moving forward. God is moving forward. And he's calling his people to come with him. So Moses summoned all of Israel, and he begins his discourse with a history of the covenant relationship between Israel and God. Moses reviews the givens of Israel's faith. And so in verse 2, he says, You have seen all the Lord did. What God had done in their history. You understand the miracle of the Exodus that he what he did when he set you free. You understand the miracle of the desert when he kept you alive because you saw it take place. You remember the miracle of the battles where he gave you victory after victory after victory. God's actions could not be denied in the life of Israel. They had experienced them. They were what formed the objective core of their faith. The, this history with God was what defined their very identity and their relationship to God. So here's my question to you, church. What forms your core of your faith? What have you seen that ought to shape 
what you believe. What defines your identity in the core of your faith and your relationship to God? Is it objective truth? What God has done or what you feel should be true or what he should have done? Is the core of your faith built on the undeniable acts of God? You see, biblical faith is not built on consumerism, on individual preference, happiness, and rights, or the invention of some spiritual religious person. Biblical faith is a response to the events in which God has acted. Biblical faith is a response to the events in which God has acted. You have seen, verse 2 tells us, all the Lord did. Theologian Christopher Wright writes this, these words are an unmistakable echo of Exodus 19.4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. These are the first words, Wright says, that Israel heard from Mount Sinai even before the commandments and the law were given. Those whom God calls into covenant relationship, those whom God demands covenant obedience are those whom God has already acted to save. God's love already has been demonstrated. Ours is awaited. You see, therefore... Moses in chapter 9 says this. Therefore, since God's love has already been demonstrated, because you have already been saved, because you've already been sustained, because you've already been given victory, keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. God has acted and demonstrated his love towards his people. And how he, now he awaits their worship through loving obedience. It's this covenant relationship. God is reminding them, renewing with them, and pushing forward. God had assembled, in, in verse 10 through 11, it tells us that God assembled every social strata in Israel to himself, even the refugee, even the servant who chops wood and carries water, in order that they may enter into a sworn covenant of the Lord their God. And then in verse 12 and 13, he says, so that, he's doing this, so that, you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with you today, that he may establish you today as his people 
and that he may be your God as he promised you and as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Today, God is swearing an oath to be their God and to make them his covenant people. Now, do you hear law and love in that? The love is that God is making this sinful people his own possession. I don't talk about my sons as those boys unless I'm very angry. They're my boys. The love of my life. Not yours. Mine. That is covenant relationship. They're not perfect. They sin against me. They sin against their mother. But they're mine. God is loving his people. And the law in it is set by his oath. It is a legal binding thing. By the word of God, he is making an oath with his people that he will never leave them nor forsake them, that he will never fail them, that they will be his people and he will be their God. Covenant relationship is an intimate, loving relationship containing freedom and obligations, love and law, blessings and curses. Pastor Tim Keller says this, a covenant relationship is a relationship more loving and intimate than a mere legal relationship, yet a more binding and enduring relationship than a mere personal relationship. It's a stunning blend of law and love. It's stunning because it's personal, because it's a personal relationship made more loving and intimate because it's made binding through a voluntary mutual vow to be loving and faithful no matter what the circumstances. That is our God. He is a covenant God. Now, the problem is, the rest of this chapter has some disturbing things in it. That's great. I'm feeling really good right now. God is a loving God toward me as one of his children, uh, no matter the circumstances. Beautiful. Right? Mm. Verse 16, beware. Through 16 to 20, he, God just says, Beware lest there be a man or, among, or woman among you that breaks this covenant and worships idols if their heart turns away from the Lord. Though he hears the words of this sworn covenant and walks away in the stubbornness of his heart saying, I'm safe. Then, this is what the Lord says in verse 20. says that the Lord will not be willing to forgive him 
but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy, listen to this, this is pretty poignant, will smoke against the man. Not good. And the curses written in this book will settle upon him and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. Now, wait a second. Think about this scene with me for just a minute. Put yourself in the position of the people of Israel summoned and assembled around Moses. Moses is preaching and then they, they hear this warning and the realization begins to set in. Wait a second. You've already told us in verse 4 that the Lord has not given us a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. Yet now you're telling us if we disobey, there's only judgment. We've already proven in our life we can't obey. It's very clear in the history of Israel, the reason why they've been wandering around the desert is they cannot obey. How about you? Can you obey? Verse 9 told us that we are to keep every word of this covenant and do them. How well are you doing? How well are you doing with the law that we've been studying for weeks on end? I don't know about you, but I was at the elder retreat a couple weeks ago just saying, guys, I got to come up for air. I was getting beat down, beat down, beat down. Each one of you, you've been there. You've been there in the moment and you've said, God, where's, where's the love in that? Where's the forgiveness? Where's the grace? Where's the hope? If you haven't heard anything else I've said today, please listen to this. Because this is the mind-blowing beauty of the gospel. Moses is not calling them just to another renewed obedience. He's done that throughout the early parts of Deuteronomy. Rather, he is setting the groundwork for a new work of God which lies yet in the future and that he alludes to in the next chapter in verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and that you may live and I'm sure next week, Larry's going to do an amazing job with that. Here's where I want us to focus in on today. God is preparing the way for the biggest demonstration of covenant love and relationship in all of human history. He is setting the stage for the day when love and law will both be exercised in one event. One single event that would set God's people free. 
One event that would sustain them for eternity and give them final victory over the curse of sin and the grave. One single event that would form the core of all biblical faith, define the identity of every true believer and cement the covenant relationship between God and his people. At the moment in time when all people had broken God's law, you, me, every human, he himself was going to intervene in covenant fidelity. Coming in the form of a man, the word becoming flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, and Jesus would fulfill. Verse 9, he would keep every word of the covenant and he would do all of them for you and for me. Perfectly. And then he himself would be broken for our infidelity. You see, the scriptures are very clear. Paul says that he became a curse for us in Galatians 3.13. That Christ was the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 53. That Christ would be crushed for our iniquities. For our inability to keep the law. He would be crushed for that. And Christ would be our justifier. Paul writes in Romans 3. He would be the just justifier. He would be put on display by God as a propitiation for our sins. Big word. Here's the thing that I want you to get. That means that God didn't just get over being offended. That he, like you and me, would just says, I forgive you. No. The fact that Christ became our propitiation means that God's wrath against sin was fully and completely poured out on Christ for you and for me, for our infidelity, for our adultery. Christ died in your stead so that you could be free, so that you could be cleansed, so that you could experience covenant love. The law was fulfilled in Christ. So that you could be the people of Christ. Unbelievable. Mind-blowing. Heart-exploding. The good news of the gospel is that Christ has fulfilled the covenant law so that you can experience covenant love. Now... We are set free to live in loving obedience to a loving God. God has demonstrated his love toward us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The law no longer brings condemnation, but directs our worship.
So the question today is, how's that worship going? How is the covenant relationship between you and God today? You see, because that covenant relationship affects an assortment of other covenant relationships within our life. How we are to live, what we're to do, who we're to be. So in application of this today, I have three, three covenant relationships that I want, to, want us to just center on. I mean, there's a myriad we could list, but here, here are two, three main areas. Obviously, the first one is this. How about your relationship with God? Are you treating it as a consumer relationship or a covenant one? If you are a consumer, let me introduce you today to the covenant God who has shown himself to be faithful even though you have been unfaithful. He has not been only faithful to his side of the covenant, He's been faithful to your side of the covenant. He has produced a faithfulness for you. He has been crushed for your infidelity. Unbelievable. Christ Jesus became a curse for you. He bore your wrath. He bore your shame. He bore your justice. That your eyes would be opened. That your ears would hear. And that your heart would be made anew. And by faith in the objective truth of the gospel, he set you free from slavery of sin and has given you life. No more condemnation. The law directs our worship. and shows us what it means to walk an obedient life. But beware. Beware that you do not play the role of the man in verse 19 of our text today, that after hearing the words of the gospel or the covenant, you bless yourself in your heart saying, I shall be safe though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. God says he will not forgive that. You see, Christ paid it all and he demands your all. God will not maintain a consumer relationship with you. He is jealous for you because you are his child. Secondly, how about your relationship with your spouse? All of us would love to stand up and shout that we are covenant keepers. While most of us don't live that way. Or we're married to someone who doesn't. Let me introduce you today to the covenant God who fulfills the covenant even when his beloved doesn't. 
even when his beloved doesn't. You see, Apostle Peter in First Peter chapter 2 is a long explanation of the example that Christ has given us. And he says you should follow in his steps and his suffering and his bearing of sin. And then immediately after that, at the beginning of chapter 3, he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your husbands. And then verse 7, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. The example to follow in the steps are of a suffering servant, Savior, who bore sin that was not his sin. And who entrusted himself to a just God, a just judge. And was faithful. Christ has left you and I an example. And our relationship with our spouse is ultimately more about our relationship with God than it is actually about our spouse. Will we follow? Will we love as covenant keepers? Will we love as we have been loved? Will we be lovingly obedient to a loving God? That is the question. And lastly, the last relationship is that with the church. Covenant or consumer? How do you read the scripture? What should it be? So I don't like the preaching, so I'm out. You know, Daniel Creswell, he's just a little too happy for me. I'm out. What? You know, they're really actually calling me to take sin seriously and do something with it. And they're asking me to be connected to other believers in the church in some kind of biblical community. What? That? I'm out. What is that? When God's spirit falls upon you in covenant relationship with him and by faith you place your trust in Christ. His work on the cross, his death, his resurrection. The moment you experience that regenerating work of grace, whether you like it or not, you are a covenant member of his family. The people of God. That's why Christ died. In order to do what? To make a people for himself. Titus 2. Zealous for good deeds. You're part of his family. You're an adopted child. You've been picked and brought in. Unbelievable. Why would you want to live an independent life? away from the family that you've been adopted into. See, now, sojourner has been welcomed home. You don't have to wander around like a sheep without a shepherd. You've been brought into the flock. Bruce Milne writes this. Scripture knows nothing of solitary religion. 
The salvation it witnesses to is emphatically one which has corporate dimensions. No man can be reconciled to God without being reconciled to the people of God within whom his experience of God's grace immediately sets him. We are a covenant people by nature. That's who we are. We are the body of Christ. You get the picture? I mean, Paul has lots of, I mean, just the body of Christ. You can't treat this as a consumer relationship. You know, that small group, they didn't meet my needs this week, so I'm out. What? Maybe you were there to serve somebody else. Our covenant relationship to God must fuel every other relationship we have. It gives us the proper understanding of what should be a consumer relationship and what should be a covenant relationship. So the question today is, what areas of your life do you need to confess your sin and turn from it and embrace the gospel once again, remembering much like what Moses did with the Israelites, what you have already seen, what the Lord has already done. And to walk in humble, grateful submission. Be lovingly obedient to a loving God. So today as we respond to the word, please, please be somber about this covenant relationship and understanding the love and law of God so that you can be set free from your sin and walk in the fullness of life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today we confess to you with the Apostle Paul that we are the chief of sinners, that we run from you often and that we treat you and others around us as we're the most important person in the universe. This day, dear Jesus, break us. By your spirit, empower us to confess our sin to you, to embrace the gospel anew today, and to walk in the newness of life. We want to be your people and we want you to be our God. So help us to walk that out. And help us, dear God, to turn from our sin. We pray this in the name, the only name, under heaven. Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name.